0: Gen X Playback, episode number 10. Hey, up all your noses with rubber hoses. It's the Gen X Playback Show. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. And we want to welcome you again to another exciting episode of our trip down memory lane. As Sean has said before, we're building a little community here. And it's not so little. I mean, we're quite spread out across the United States and, and even into some other countries. So it's just great to be able to talk about and reminisce about some of the things that happened in our lives that we we're that had such an impact on us, and that we can look back fondly, and talk about good times. Absolutely, and it, this is the sort of thing where you know I, I talked
1: about it last episode, where in some ways Gen X is a bit of a forgotten generation. The you know the our Boomer parents get a lot of attention. The uh, you know. Gen Zers and Millennials, they cry a lot and whine a lot, so they're going to get a lot of attention. But
0: not us Gen Xers. We're solid. We're right in the middle. But we need some love. See, I always heard that the it skips a generation. So we we were related to our grandparents, okay. and they were in the World War II era. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of, it's appropriate. I think so. That's, it,
1: that makes sense. Sure. A lot of the
0: music that we were into, think, think of the revivals that happened in the 80s. You're talking about a little bit of a 50s revival, the Rockabilly, the Stray Cats, uh, the Honey Drip, you know, that type of music. Uh, Billy Joel even did a doo-wop album. So it kind of makes sense that, that we were drawn towards that that later music, maybe a little bit before what maybe our parents would have followed in the 60s or 70s. I think I did kind
1: of hear that once,
0: uh, that somebody had said that the when we were living in the 80s, that the 80s reminded them of the 50s. Okay. And I think that's true. Yeah. All right. So let's continue with uh, with yet another episode. Episode number 10. Wow. It just uh, it, The time is flying by. And we again, we're trying to keep things a little different. We're trying to not stay on the same topic week after week after week. And Sean, you had a, a new. Um, we haven't really talked '90s, so you wanted to pick something for the '90s this week.
1: I did. You, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking '80s, obviously, because you know that for us that was our teen years, and, and you know most of us look back pretty finely in our teen years. And then, of course, we when we talk about the '70s, it's our childhood. Last week we talked cartoons and. It's, um, well, I guess it wasn't last week. It was the previous episode where talked cartoons. So it's time for us to give a little bit of love to the 90s. So this is when Scott and I are hitting our 20s and we are able to have a little disposable income so we, we, we can leave the house now and we can actually go out to the movie theater and we can buy a ticket. Tickets were not nearly as expensive as what they are now, but still, you know, it was something where... Now that we had jobs and we had disposable income, we could go out and choose what we wanted to see. So tonight's episode is going to be on 90s movies. I think that the 90s is one of the best periods ever for movies. I I had an incredibly hard time choosing my list as far as my top movies, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight, not necessarily pick a, a specific genre, These are not necessarily the best movies, so these might not have won Academy Awards, but these are movies that, for me and Scott, were our favorites in the 90s. So with that, I'm going to turn over to you, Scott, and let you start on your list. And, you know, I have not looked at your list, other than you've held it up to me, and it's quite long. I, I did not put my glasses on, so all I saw was scribbling on paper but you have a much longer list than what i do but
0: so let's let's get into it and hear what your favorites were from the 90s i did because it was you know it's funny when you when you first brought the topic up uh when we completed the last episode and i thought ah this shouldn't this shouldn't take too long but then the more you dig into it the more it was a hard list to uh to even and there's a lot of movies in there that are some of my favorites of all time right and so that's why I my list is so big. So we're not going to spend time on each individual movie, but I just kind of wanted to give a shout out and then break it down by category. So what I did first was I had it split up by action, uh, drama slash horror. I had comedy, and then I had dramedy. Now, do you have a a list like numerically from like number ten through number one as far as your favorite overall? Or I don't, but I okay. can certainly comment on the ones that yeah, sure. that are. You know, at the end of the day, are going to be uh, you know my favorite list. So okay, we'll jump in wherever you want to start. Okay, so let me let me start with the action, and I uh, you know I had it down to did it make it past the honorable mention or the regular list. So I have my honorable mention action movies, Golden Eye, Pierce Brosnan, uh, James Bond uh, hit my list. Independence Day with Will Smith, Terminator Two, Judgment Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger because it was so groundbreaking with the uh, with the special effects. And this one may surprise people Air Force 1 with Harrison Ford where he plays the president of the United States okay. gets the plane gets hijacked. So what made my top list for action movies was another Harrison Ford movie The Fugitive was one of my favorites. That that's not, that was a movie that is not on my list but I definitely considered it. Speed with Keanu Reeves yep. was one of my favorites. Braveheart with Mel Gibson mm-hmm. and The Matrix also with Keanu Reeves were were that was my top 4 for action movies. Um Keep going or you want to jump in there. Well,
1: let uh, I mean you you have at least one movie on there which is on my list and and that well actually you have two. Uh, okay. So there you know when when we sat down to do this I tried to figure out what movies Scott and I would agree on. And I assumed he was coming back with a much smaller list, so <laughs> I thought there might be three or four that we might have some crossover with. Uh, but with your large list, you did hit two that I have on my list and that you actually have, so I ranked mine. Okay. So number 10 for me was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay. And number nine was The Matrix. Okay. All right. So let's, let's talk about those two movies sure. in particular. So go, let's, let's go with Schwarzenegger and Terminator 2. Pretty rare that a sequel is regarded higher than the original movie.
0: And I think a lot of that had to do with the special effects that James Cameron put in because the special effects that were done really is the precursor to today's modern movies. The, um, the CG, uh, the computer graphic uh, you know, uh, where they were able to make the, the computer generation of the Terminator that it, where you can turn into liquid form. And just the fact that they could do it and make it look more realistic than they had ever done before. I know James Cameron pretty much put all of his money into this. So if it would not have been successful, his career probably would have ended. Because he even uh, did, I think he did Rambo 2 just to finance Terminator 2. He just wrote the script for it and it went completely against what he wanted to do. But. Um, one thing you can say about James Cameron as a director and as a creator, he did this with Avatar as well. When he has his mind about what he wants to do something visually, he does go all in. And this the, the visuals to this movie, uh, in addition to the story are, are really what sets us so far apart and what made it such a groundbreaking movie.
1: Well, so kind of talking about where you and I come from with what we think about movies. Now you, you talked about the kind of the visuals and the story are you more of a visual person or more
0: of a story person? It's got to have some, I'm probably more of a story person than I am visual, but when the visual is in there as well, it does make, it can enhance the movie. But as I see a lot of movies that they make today, that's the entire movie, which makes them unwatchable for me. Right. It has to have, you know, a story to keep me involved. I know when die hard came out with Bruce Willis that, um, it was the story in addition to all the explosions and all the shooting and all the killing that made this, that, that's why people go back to the movie because it has a story. It's not a, it's not a great story. It's not going to win an Academy award, but there's enough of a story there to tie everything together. And then the visual effects enhance the movie. And that's, that's what I need. I, you know, if you want to put visual uh, special effects in there, that's great. But if it doesn't have a story and some kind of a flow, I'm probably going to leave it at some point. Right. I I would probably be a little more
1: story oriented with with a, a splash of visuals. Right. I, I I have a problem if the visuals are inconsistent, if they're bad, if if it's so obvious that it's somebody that didn't really get shot, and there's you know you can see the person smashing the blood pellet that mm-hmm. you know that's that's poorly done. So I like when they do visuals that make it look realistic for the over the, the top the, the sci-fi fans out there that, that you know they're gonna appreciate those things a lot more than what I will. with Terminator 2 Judgment day, I really like the story. Uh, it's you know the, the visuals yes you're right they, it, it was it was a leap forward when they did the original Terminator it was almost like an indie film. it was so low budget mm-hmm. you know I, I heard Schwarzenegger talk about it where there's the one scene where they they're kind of like smashing the car. That was just like some random car in the street that that was not really part of anything they paid for, or right. it it just was kind of like this abandoned car that they decided to smash because they didn't have much money, and then they needed to quickly get out of there before the police were called. <laughs> and that this is shooting a major film on a shoestring. That's not what Judgment Day was. So Terminator Two, Judgment Day, not only does it come out with as you're talking about the visuals, where you're you know you're it's not just Schwarzenegger. Um, as the Terminator, so you know, kind of give a little bit of of what these the movies are about. In the original Terminator, the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a Terminator mm-hmm. who gets sent back in time to try to kill the mother of John Connor because John Connor is going to be the the human that leads the revolt against the machines, right? Right? Because we're in this this futuristic dystopian world where the machines have taken over Mm -hmm. and where artificial intelligence got too intelligent and you know that's kind of a a topic that comes up now you know it's it's interesting how you know these movies that predicted these things 40 years ago it's now you're starting to see kind of where they were going with that Mm -hmm. although i don't can't see how they would have known that but that's
0: kind of what they thought right yeah, and in the first movie, Schwarzenegger was the bad guy. Exactly, and now in the second one, he is now the good guy, and he's brought back. There's a new Terminator that's been created to so go the, back. It's and the T
1: one. It's, it's the T one thousand.
0: He's the T one thousand. Well, he's
1: the T eight hundred. He's okay. the T eight hundred.
0: Eight hundred. Yeah.
1: So the new Terminator is the T one thousand better, so able to do more things. Where it, there's the Terminator uh, character
0: is kind of just this this robot in a way that is a killing machine. Right. And so he is brought back. He's sent back by John Connor in the future. He's captured and reprogrammed. Right. And then, so he is now brought back to protect uh, John and his mom. Young John Connor. Yes. Um, And uh, so they are running from this uh, cyborg and then they eventually, uh, but the, the the CGI uh, graphics and the effects in the movie, that this new Terminator can do, such as you know, he can liquefy himself. He and can, he can uh, transform himself into any person, but just by touching them. So it's kind of cool. Uh, it was a cool movie. I think it was time appropriate for when the movie was released to you know the times of the day as far as what people were interested in. People, you know, we were still very much. that was what 92? 91, 91. So we were still very much a heavy metal uh, society, you know, if you're a music fan. And I think it kind of tied into there because, um, you know... uh, Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses was 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 quite prominent. You you
1: Could Be Mine was the the song that was the main song for the movie. So when they were promoting this, it was the standard MTV uh, approach where you had a movie and a music video that combined both. You Could Be Mine from Guys and Roses was basically a
0: Terminator 2 promotional film. And while the kid was into heavy metal, he also wore a Public Enemy t-shirt in the movie. That was Edward Furlong who played John Connor. And so during the during the movie, even though and and that shows the diversity of our of our generation. We talked about that before. Mm-hmm. You could be in heavy metal and rap music at the same time.
1: Well, there was that movement going on at the time. Early '90s is where you were seeing the the crossover and the the combination. So we had talked in previous episodes about Run DMC playing with Aerosmith, and how it kind of you know changed things. Well, at this time, Public Enemy was doing things with Anthrax, so a much harder band with a much harder rap group because run DMC was much more of a, 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 of a group for the, for the, the populace. You know, they were much more approachable where public enemy was, was definitely more of the street. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's, ma- that's the a matrix. It, yeah. yeah. So they, go ahead and, and, and talk about the matrix um, and kind of give a, a breakdown a little bit of the film.
0: So the matrix uh, basically is a, is a science fiction action movie where Keanu Reeves plays Somebody that they refer to as uh, Mr. Anderson in the Matrix, but in the uh, when he's out of the Matrix, his name is Neo. And um, good cast in in this movie. They they are on a ship, um, but basically, he is in the Matrix, doesn't know it, and he's uh, being brought to the light, so to speak, where he's being brought out of his uh, enslavement in the pod that he that everybody lives in, and they just don't know it. They provide. Uh, Their force of energy for the for the machines that control the world, and um, so the uh, Morpheus uh, contacts him about get, leaving the Matrix. So he finally does, which is Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne, a very respect, you know, yeah. just great actor. So um, Morpheus gets gets Neo to uh, leave the pod, and so he's able to uh, see what's going on. And uh, at the end of the movie, you know, through. Uh, uh, quite a few different t- uh, plot twists and changes and it's it's neatly crafted which i which i really think sets the movie apart because again it's not just an action movie there's a there's a story that has to tie it together and uh keanu reeves who while i've enjoyed many movies that keanu has been in i wouldn't necessarily see keanu reeves as one of my favorite actors yet he's been in quite a bit uh, you know quite a few movies that i like Ted yeah. Theodore Logan, not not the not from the Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Not the widest range. I mean, you kind of know um, from his days as a young hockey goalie in Youngblood with Rob Lowe, to uh, uh, Parenthood, where he plays the uh, you know the the ridiculous son-in-law. But he kind of has the same you know approach in every. Oh no, uh, you know I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Um, and then, uh, that was, uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Mm-hmm. And then in the replacements, you know, chicks, dicks, you, know, you know, it's kind of the same, same kind of guy. And he even does that a little bit in the matrix too. But, uh, you know, one of the, one of the cool things about it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hand to hand fighting. There's uh, you know, karate, Kung Fu, whatever you want to call it, but there's a lot of martial arts involved, uh, a lot of explosions, um, but it was uh, it was a pretty cool movie in, in, in that the plot twist is one of the a rare movie where you didn't see a lot of things coming at you, and, and that's probably why I enjoyed the movie a lot. Was because it, the story um, kind of kept me off balance through throughout the movie with uh, with regards to where it started and where it ended up. It's uh,
1: I agree with everything you said, especially when you know you talk about uh, kind of the. The visuals of the movie where they the combine a lot of things that people think are cool. You know, a lot of, as you say, martial arts. There's a lot of um, weaponry that, that, that appears, and it's almost like, like a video game. The, what I liked about the movie was, was the story. You know, as I, I've said before, I, I, I go in that direction. I really liked kind of the questions, the, uh, the philosophical questions that came out of the movie. The idea of, do you really want to know the truth? You know, it's it's. Do you want to take the red pill and learn the truth, or do you want to take the blue pill and live in ignorance? Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think a lot of you can you can relate to it yourself. Uh, the movie came out in nineteen ninety nine, so you know I am not a child at that point. I think that made it made a lot more sense to me then. Right at the you know at that point I am thirty, and so I am I am already kind of you know you are thinking about bigger life issues than I would have if this movie had come out in 1982. Sure. uh, So you can kind of see it's, is it better to kind of just, you know, go about life and and happily ever after. And Joe Joe Pinaliani, his character in the movie is the traitor. Mm -hmm. He has this part where he goes back into the Matrix and he is at this dinner table and he's he's eating a, a steak. And he says, I know as I, you know, before I bite into the steak... He goes. I know this isn't real, but it's juicy and it's delicious, and you know when I when I bite into it, I you know I can feel the texture and I love it. And so he's willing to give up the truth and be reinserted into the matrix. And he said, "When you put me back in again, I want to know nothing. I don't. I don't want to remember any of this." And there's people that.
0: He wanted to be rich.
1: He wanted maybe. to be rich, and maybe an actor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's kind of the philosophical question: it, Are you better off having this this happy life that you think you think it's this great life that really isn't anything? It's just blips on a screen. When in reality, you are in this pod. You're this. You're this enslaved little cell. That I mean, that's what they were being used for. They're like they're like batteries. They're like the cell in a battery, is what human beings were being used at. As but in their minds, they're living these imaginary worlds. So is is that where we're you know kind of heading with some of the things where people you know they put the goggles on and they go into these imaginary computerized
0: worlds and they live out all these adventures where they're really not doing anything or going anywhere. Right, and when this movie came out, to your point, uh, that was sort of the advent of the internet where you're starting to have these social circles. And and like you said, you know, people were living a completely different life on the computer. They could be somebody different. Sure. They could, they didn't have to be themselves. They could pretend that they were taller, thinner, better looking, uh, younger, you know, what you name it. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's, it's kind of interesting because that was all right around the same time. And that's the question that the movie kind of presents to us
1: is it you know is it better to to live in this in the reality or not in the reality obviously Keanu Reeves character Neo decides that he's taking the red pill he's going to learn the truth he goes down this path where there's a lot of symbolism to it he's it's it's um, you know it's like a messiah type of, of, of character where there's this the oracle you know you know predicts that there will be this chosen one that will rise up and, and save the human race. And it kind of looks like at the end of the movie that that turns out to be Neo. You know, for the longest time, they think it's him, but then he appears to die, and
0: then he comes back again. Well, the um, they kept telling him that he was the Chosen One. Right. And he, when he met with the Oracle, the Oracle said, you're not the Chosen One. And what he ends up learning later is that she only told him that because he she said that you were the chosen one, he probably would have acted differently in those situations. Right. So not, by not thinking that he was the chosen one, he probably was a little bit more daring, a little bolder, uh, you know, in, in especially when Morpheus gets captured and they go through the, the rescue where he's like, I don't care, you know, it's not important that I die. I'm not the chosen one. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? So, yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. That was one of the twists that I thought was 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 neat where you – for about two-thirds of the movie, we had already heard the Oracle tell him sure. that he's not the chosen one. Sure. And then he comes to learn that the only reason she said that is because everybody has to follow their own path.
1: Now, I know there's people listening right now that are saying, come on, Sean, get off it. <laughs> we, we don't care about these deep philosophical <laughs> questions. We just like the action, and that is perfectly fine. Right. And that's what is was what I liked about a movie like The Matrix is you can approach it from different angles you could be somebody that just loves action movies this was a great action movie it it really really was and seeing as it was it was created at the end of the 90s it's it's amazing to me how well it has stood the test of time as far as those
0: action scenes they are not dated in my opinion at all a lot of the movies that we that we will talk about or have spoken about the, you know, we talk about durability. They they have they have durability, right? So so, anyways, that, let's wrap up uh, the matrix. So keep continuing with your list. Okay, so I'm going to move over to drama slash horror. Honorable mention goes to A Bronx Tale, directed by Robert De Niro with uh, Chaz Palminteri, um based in Brooklyn, New York, about a uh, gangster that controls the corner and the little kid that he uh, that idolizes him. American Beauty with Kevin Spacey and Annette Benning. Uh, about a guy who's going through one of the worst midlife crises of his life and kind of finds a moment of clarity. The Silence of the Lambs, uh, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, and The Blair Witch Project, one of the lowest budget movies to get a lot of uh, attention. So that would be my honorable mention. One that probably doesn't get spoken about a whole lot for me is The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. Probably his first real dramatic role. I really love that movie. Unforgiven is one of my favorites of all time. With Clint Eastwood, I think that's one of the best westerns ever made. Uh, Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. It's one of the second best westerns ever made. Dances with Wolves and Kevin Costner. Um, Goodfellas with uh, with Joe Pesci and Ray Leola, directed by Martin Scorsese. The Sixth Sense with uh, Bruce Willis, uh, directed by uh, M Night Shyamalan from here in the uh, in, from Pennsylvania. And this one would definitely make my my top five all time list is Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon and uh, Robin Williams. Uh, Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks. We talked about Tom Hanks in a previous episode. One of my favorite actors, and this is probably my favorite Tom Hanks movie of at least of the '90s. Uh, probably in my number one '90s movie favorite of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, again with Morgan Freeman, that I absolutely uh, can't. It makes uh, my wife, Amy, so angry every time it shows up on cable TV, which is a lot that I have to watch at least a few minutes of it because I always do. And then my last drama uh, is one that's kind of forgotten about, I think, is The Horse Whisperer with Robert Redford and uh, a very young Scarlett Johansson. And it is, to me, one of the most endearing movies of the 90s. Very well done. Robert Redford directed it. Uh, Chris Cooper is a name that you may not recognize, but you've rec- seen him in many movies. Um, he's usually, uh, played, uh, you know, a side character to, to many, many people, but one that stands out to me is Seabiscuit, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, he was, he played the trainer in that movie, but he plays, uh, Robert Redford's brother in the horse whisperer, but it's a great kind of coming of age, um, mending of broken hearts kind of movie, um, which which was extremely well done, but that's that's my list for drama and horror. All
1: right, so I, I tend to fall into the drama category. So you knocked a lot off of my list with your huge, humongous list that you <laughs> yeah. have there. So uh, what, what what I'll do is is I'll I'll address a couple of the ones that you mentioned that were kind of my honorable mention list that didn't quite make the cut for the for the top ten. So the the first one that that uh, jumped out at me was Silence of the Lambs. That was a, a movie that I remember going in, seeing in the theater because there was so much buzz about it at the time. It was uh, a, a truly scary movie. It, the You know, Anthony Hopkins, and, and, and maybe I'll let you pick up and, and give some of the, uh, the plot with that, but a- Anthony Hopkins is one of the most diabolical characters of all time in that he is, the, you know, there's, uh, Buffalo is a Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill is the serial killer mm-hmm. that Jodie Foster's character uh, is is trying to track down. He, he's he's
0: kidnapping women. Yes, and, and her character um, Clarice works for the FBI, but she's not quite yet an FBI agent. She's still in training, but she has kind of garnered the favor of um, a, a supervisor who's played by Scott Glenn. And he is, uh, because she's known to be very good at profiling. So he kind of brings her into this case and through, uh, through this case, she's an up and comer, comes from a very poor background. She has a little bit of a, you know, a past that gets brought up in throughout the, in, in the movie at one point, but she's kind of brought in. So she's extremely young, uh, in, and, and Anthony Hopkins, who, um, you know plays the villain in this mm-hmm. car- in this movie. He well, certainly jumps he, on that right away. He's 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 the villain but he's not the
1: villain because throughout most of the movie Buffalo Bill is the villain. Correct. And and the Anthony Hopkins character is incarcerated. Correct. So he's he is because he is this this diabolical mastermind they want to pick his brain to track down this
0: serial killer. Yeah, they want to try and find Buffalo Bill so they get you know, the most notable alive serial serial killer that they can think of because in his past he was a psychiatrist. So he's he's known to be very thoughtful, he can be very lucid, he can He's very uh, well spoken. Very extremely well spoken. But yet he has this side about him where he eats people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has he has cannibalism and uh, so there's there's definitely a little flick in the in the uh, pituitary gland, I guess you could say, with uh, with him mentally. But well, he's he's locked away, so he loves the
1: opportunity to interact with Jodie Foster. Uh, what, what was her name again? What was the Clarice Starling. Yeah. Okay. So so Clarice is coming around and trying to pick his brain. But you know, this is high entertainment. Um, you know, and did you have Anthony Hoppin's character's name? I, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that's right, Hannibal. So you know, Hannibal Lecter is this is this is as good as it gets for him. So he's he's going to not he, sure he's going to kind of help Clarice, but at, or by or at the same time
0: he's going to play a game with her. He, he strings the whole thing along uh, so he can get out of jail. They brought they bring him uh, with them and they put him in a hotel. But he's got this big, gigantic cage, this clear cage that he, that they can uh, monitor him at all times. But while he is giving just enough clue to uh, to Agent Starling to find Buffalo Bill, he's also kind of plotting his escape. Sure. So there's there's a whole lot of stuff going on there where eventually uh, Agent Starling Jodie Foster does uh, through uh, through her conversations with um Hannibal Lecter she figures out where he's at because the one of the FBI crews they go to the wrong house. She ends up going to the correct house and uh, she does find Buffalo Bill and the woman that he is holding down in the pit in the basement. So she's able to uh she's able to foil Buffalo Bill and, and make the arrest, but also in the meantime, you know, Lecter is able to get his uh, plot his escape and he does do so and he ends up going on the run which is the end of the movie. So sure. the, the the twist at the end is he's he's out there. So yes, he he becomes the villain
1: at the end, but I don't think that you're really expecting that little plot twist at the end that he gets out. Mm-hmm. So it, it you know, excellent movie. It it's an all-timer. It, you know, it it won a lot of awards when it was out there. It's it's interesting that it's regarded as a horror movie because that's not how I looked at it. But you know,
0: it definitely fits it. I mean, it was a psychological thriller. Which is why I I, I threw it in the drama slash horror, sure. because I don't consider it a horror movie either, much like the Sixth Sense, because uh, there are as chilling a moments in the Sixth Sense that I've ever seen in movies, yet I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. All at right,
1: all. so let's transition and go to the Sixth Sense. Because okay. that was another one that I pulled out and almost made my list. Okay. Because it's a movie that I, I like a lot. It is one of the few movies that I've ever watched that totally got me at the end.
0: Oh, yeah. I did not see it coming. It was, exactly. I think I think that's probably why this remains one of my favorite movies of all time. And I got to be honest with you, um, I was not expecting this kind of performance from Bruce Willis. Correct. He was goofy up
1: until that point. I mean, we, we knew him from Moonlighting on television. And then, you know, he's like the diehard guy.
0: John McClane. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's John McClane. So for him to play uh, you know, a psychologist, a child psychologist at that, and you have this boy, Haley Joel Osmond, who is – all these things are happening to him. He lives with a single mom. It's just the two of them. And he's having these issues, and she's kind of at her wits' end because she doesn't know how to help him. And he's not being forthright with what's going on in his life until he finally starts meet, – he meets this psychiatrist, played by yeah. Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis is having some issues going on in his own life. Because, because for some reason, his wife seems cold and standoffish. He's estranged from his wife. <laughs> but he can't understand why. She just won't talk to him. And the and the thing that I, I think where Shyamalan does such a nice job of imagery is every night when he goes down to a study, which is in the basement of his house, the door is locked. And he always has, I was like, why is the door, you know, and he has to unlock the door every single time, which to me is like, you know, when you finally find out at the very end that A spoiler alert here. So if you don't want to know, right? That the reason skip it. The reason that the boy can see Bruce Willis is because he's dead. Because right? Because throughout the movie, he the little
1: boy says, "I see dead people." That's his problem. That those are his issues. That you know, and you don't know to the very very end that
0: Bruce Willis is one of the dead people that come to see him. Right because he never does see any of the other dead people that, that, um, you know, the little boy sees. And so finally at the very end, the little boy realizes that maybe the reason he sees these dead people is because they're, they're looking for him to help them. So, and that's where he kind of comes to this, I guess, peaceful, uh, understanding of where he's at in his life, because he finally knows, okay, I can help these, I can help these people. And the, probably one of the really big scenes in the movie is the little girl who videotapes her stepmother poisoning her little by little. And so he's able to find the videotape. Uh, the dead girl shows him where the videotape is so he can play it for the dad so the dad can see his wife killing his daughter.
1: Great, so. great movie. I still recommend it. it. It For people that didn't grow up during that time and they asked me for movie suggestions, Always put the Sixth Sense on the list. Okay, so another movie you talked about that I really liked, and I you know this really almost made the cut, was Clint Eastwood and The Unforgiven. Oh,
0: I I, I love this movie. One, you know, I talk top five movies. This is to, this is definitely top five. I think, in in my opinion, for a modern Western, for something that was made after like 1975 or even 1980 to me this for my money this is the best western made in in the latter half of the 20th century. Saw it in the theater, liked it, didn't totally get it. I
1: was a little young. I it I needed I needed more time to live a life and then come back to it again. When I came back to it later on, I was like, "Wow, I can see why everybody thought this was so great." Because when I saw it, I probably was a little more into the, you know, shoot 'em up action. I I would have Come out of the the Rambo era, where that's kind of what I I liked. You know, some of the the other uh, Clint Eastwood uh, cowboy movies that he would have been in, yeah, a little more shoot 'em up. That's kind of what I expected. This definitely made you think. It, It 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 was you know somebody coming to terms with a life where he had a past, and then he was coming to terms with that and then having to come to terms with the fact he came to terms with that past and maybe he needs to do something different.
0: Yeah. And uh, Gene Hackman's in it and he does a great job as the sheriff, little bill Little Bill, and uh, Morgan Freeman is in this one as well. Just well shot. Well, you know, the storyline, I was actually talking to somebody that I worked with. This is going back maybe about a year ago. And he said, you know, I heard somebody say that that character that Clint would plays in unforgiven is the same character if you go back his entire timeline to when he's in the 60s in those spaghetti westerns where he plays the good the bad and the ugly remember he's 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 an assassin in in those movies and then he goes in you go into the 80s and pale rider well i was going to bring up pale rider and pale rider remember he really he's he never goes by any other name besides preacher yeah but they recognize in town they recognize him as a killer and so when he goes, guy, when he seeks a vengeance
1: past. at the at the end, you know,
0: he's somebody that has done some bad things in the past and that he's capable of doing bad things. So, um, you know, my buddy Phil had said that it's a continuation character where he always was the same person. It's just that the, you know, the surroundings changed. He got a little bit older. So at the end, now he is, you know, he's old. He had given up that life. He, he, had, he had married and, and, kind of settled down and gave it up for this woman that he loved and so she's dead she Correct. cries and, and he's left with the children yes he has, he has two children so he's struggling he he needs money and that's why this whole thing presents itself because uh you know a gunman approaches him and says that uh you know a prostitute got carved you know got her face cut up by some bad guys and they put a bounty out on killing uh, a couple of guys in this gang so he, because of, for, for money's sake, agrees to go and do it. But he wouldn't won't go without his friend Ned, who was played by Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. So then the three of them ride out into this town, and they do eventually, um, the two other, including Ned, who previously was a killer, can't shoot these guys because there's something in them. They just can't kill a person anymore. Meanwhile, the one guy who can do it is the now farmer, um, Will, and he ends up. Uh, you know, killing both guys, and at the very end, uh, does quite a bit of killing at, at the end in the bar as well. But yeah, uh, you know, like you said, it's kind of a coming to terms with your life and who you are. And I, he was trying to run from that by getting married and being a being a farmer and raising kids. And then he's just like, you know what, this is who I am. I'm a killer, and I'm gonna do what I you know I'm gonna do what I do best. Right. Excellent. Excellent movie. It should be
1: on everyone's list of movies they have to see. So you say, all right, so then, Sean, why was that not on your list? You're you're raving about it. Well, because on my list, I didn't want to just go with one genre. I didn't want to have it too overrepresented. So I I went with another cowboy Western kind of movie, which was also on Scott's list, which I like a little bit more, Dances with Wolves, a movie that... For me, I, let's see. I have it on my list at um, where does that slate in? Oh, number six. Number okay. six overall, on my list. Kevin Costner's finest work, as far as I'm concerned. It, sure. It, you know, you, you know, I already said that. You know, I I value the story over the visuals. Well, this was a movie where I am so glad I saw it in the theater because the visuals of the open plains out west were
0: served better by seeing it on the big screen and i think it's it's kind of surprising that i think if we compared lists some of these movies are really long like dances with wolves is like a three and a half almost a four hour movie yet it's one of those movies that when you watched it if you're if you're a fan of the movie like us you didn't you didn't pay attention to what the time was it was a long it was a long movie but uh, it it kept you it kept you gripped throughout the even though it wasn't didn't have moments of great action, but it has so many different elements to it, and the visual only enhances uh, what was one of the first real stories about Native Americans who are who are portrayed in a peaceful manner. Besides, you know the occasional Lone Ranger and Tonto, you're talking about you know a group a group of uh, you know Sioux, yeah, right. and, and but there it's. Is portraying them as families,
1: right? And that's a good point. So, you know, so kind of the the story behind it is you have John Dunbar, who is a a war hero. He gets injured in in during the Civil War
0: in Tennessee. Okay. Not, not Dunbar, not Dunbar, Dunbar. Remember, D- they, they always yeah. try to get right. him to say it right. Dunbar. Yeah. No, no, not Dumbbear, Dunbar. Dunbar. <laughs>
1: right, right. Yeah. So it's John Dunbar. He he's this a hero of a battle, and he. He survives, and he's basically given his choice of where he wants to go for his next appointment. And he decides he wants to see the West, and the reason why he wants to see it because he wants to see it before it disappears. Because he's aware, and this is kind of a backstory to the movie. He's aware that the that you know basically the English uh, speaking world is is pushing its way out. The expectation is that westward bound is the way to go it is manifest destiny you know the fact is post-civil war
0: we're going to push our way all the way to california and the military sort of had the i guess the prem not the premonition but they sort of got the heads up that this was going to happen because they were essentially his job was to go out and help clear the way for the westward expansion right only when he shows up at his post there's nobody there. Well, part, part of the issue too
1: is that um, he goes out he, he, and he, he, he goes with this this uh, major general femme Brawl is his name and it turns out that this guy's not emotionally stable. He, he assigns Dunbar, the John this this post out the remote area only the the major does not keep records and doesn't let anybody know that he's out there and then he commits suicide. And as a result, he's out there without any papers. he there's There's no record that he is going out there to the, to this
0: post. And as Scott has just said, to a remote deserted post where everybody either has died or been killed by whatever whoever knows what what type of tribe, because there's so many different um, Native American uh, tribes out there, well, there was Sioux, there was um what were some of the uh, tribes that they had? Uh, Apache, I believe, was in the movie. Uh, Pawnee was in the movie, right? And so there's there's all these different there's all these different Indian tribes that are there. So some are more aggressive than others. Uh, the Sioux seems to be more of a peaceful uh, Indian nation. So they are the ones that he ends up linking up with because they seem to be a little bit more, I guess, approachable than than some of the other because. There are, there is another Indian tribe. Some warriors out there that do end up killing. The, they kill the guy who ends up dropping him off when he's dropped off at his post. The guy turns around and rides back. Well, he gets he gets killed by uh, by some Indians that were out on a raid. Right. So
1: the the Sioux tribe that you know takes him in. They also have another white person out there. They it it's uh, stands with fist, mm-hmm. who is a little when when she was a little girl, her parents had been killed and she was taken in by by. The, the tribe and um, it the, the uh, you know the, the ideal was you know she could speak a little bit of English because she kind of remembered from her childhood it wasn't very good but she was out there and she had married you know one of the Sioux and he had passed away so she is you know kind of mourning his passing and um, they, she encounters John she tried to kill herself yes yeah, she's out there kind she, she cut her wrists she
0: did because she's mourning the fact her husband died so she was out there expecting to die. He ends up saving her, takes her back, and then that's how this relationship gets started. Of course, when he brought her back, they they almost tried to kill him right then and there uh, because they thought he harmed her. Uh, it turns out that wasn't the case. But yeah, that's how that's how they break the ice and meet for the first time.
1: And she was kind of taken in. Like her father, though not her biological father, her father in the Indian tribe was a very important man, the medicine man, uh, kicking bird. Mm-hmm and so as a result because kicking bird was very open to john to taking him in it kind of smoothed the way for for the rest of the tribe but he didn't live with him right away this was a process and he would go back and forth between the his fort and he would go visit with him he also had this this wolf that decided it was going to kind of hang out with him and it it um had these kind of little socks you know on his paws you know that uh as uh, they they kind of got into this little there, there was like this back and forth between the two of them and the indians saw them mm-hmm. and that's they they saw him and kind of try you know interacting with this wolf and he got the nickname dancing with wolves that was the name that that the tribe gave him Do you remember the wolf's
0: name I forget. Well, you, you kind of touched on it because right. he had the he his paws look like socks, so he called him two socks. That's right, two socks. Yeah. yep, that's right. That's that's what John called the wolf. Yeah, two socks. Um, yeah, I mean i i loved I love the movie, and it's one of those because we get the regular rotation of of movies on on television now, and haven't seen it in a while. And, and I wouldn't mind watching it again. Yeah, even if it's just a little bit of it, because it does. It was a movie that uh, when we didn't, I didn't see it in the theater, but we saw it right when it came to video and loved it from the very beginning and have seen it many, many, well, many I, times. Well, I think
1: it's a movie that that did a lot to raise awareness for what, you know, what it would have been like, uh, you know, what the tribes might have gone through. Because it was kind of interesting where, you know, we, we talk about, you know, John going back and forth. Eventually, he becomes part of the Sioux. And when he one day goes back to the fort again, he's dressed in full Sioux garb. He ends, ends up marrying, uh, standing with fist. As a Sioux. As a Sioux. Yeah. So that that's a Sioux wife. He goes back to the fort. Keep in mind, there are no papers that he's supposed to be out there. And he gets arrested. And he tries to explain to them who he was, what he did. All they know is there's this renegade white man Who's now dressed as a Sioux? Well, it was the whole thing about recovering his diary because he did
0: keep a journal. He did keep a, a journal, but that one soldier kept it because yes. he liked looking at the drawings. He couldn't read, right? He didn't know how to read, but he but he, he he knew it was John's, and he didn't want to give it back to him, right? And so, but they end up there ends up being a, a, a scuffle between the uh, the militia. The United States Army and the Indian tribe. Mm-hmm. So John is able to be reunited with his wife, um, stands with the fist, and because she's expecting, and that they are going to be, uh, you know, he goes back to what is his, what he believes to be his family, which is actually the Sioux Nation. Right, right, and that's the idea too, is that
1: he tells the tribe that the white man's coming, that it's they like. And they they can't totally grasp the numbers that are coming, and and he tries to explain it, it. This is it's just this is going to be a wave.
0: Yeah, I think the to me one of the one of the really great scenes of the movie is they've been together so long, uh, Kicking Bird and and John Dunbar Kevin Costner, where they've been they can they're kind of teaching each other the, the languages. So they're having this conversation that is part Sioux and part English. So the conversation starts out in Sioux, where john saying they're coming the white man is coming and then kicking bird turns and replies back in english how many mm-hmm. and then he says like the stars yeah right and so it, it, it kind of dawns and kicking bird is a man of authority right and respect in in the uh in the tribe so he starts to at first they don't believe him they, they think he's covering for something but then they finally sinks in that yeah this He's telling the truth. This is going to happen. So they end up moving out of the area. They do.
1: So, uh, awesome movie. It, it's a movie that, uh, you know, I, I'll give you a little backstory with that. I don't know that I necessarily would have seen it in the theater had it not been recommended to me. Part of the reason was I heard that it was so long. And I thought, ah, you know, I I don't know that I want to sit through a Western. I, you know, it's, I like them, but it's, you know, I've seen many Westerns. And of all people, a former high school, uh, Not classmate of either of ours, but between us, Brian Stalsfus. So, if you're listening, to Brian Stalsfus, I'll give you credit for this. You came up when I ran into you someplace, and you just raved about this movie. And you had said that you know you got to see in the theater. It's it's it's, you don't (laughs) want to rent it. You got to see in the theater. And and you you said at the time it's you won't even believe when it's over that it was four hours or whatever however long it, it is. And I remember when the movie ended, I was like. Holy cow! He was right. Yeah, I, it's like I wasn't ready for this movie to end. I I wanted to keep going, so that you know that's kind of how I ended up with that movie and you know and seeing it at the time. Great movie. Some other great movies that you mentioned on the list. Um, I'm going to go right to number three. You actually knocked off my top three. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll I'll do the whole rundown at the end. But my okay. top three and number three was Goodfellas. Okay. The best gangster. Well, I mean, I, I guess. The best gangster movie that's not The Godfather. I think it was Our
0: Generation's Godfather. It's, the, the, it's it's right up. I mean, Godfather's a little different because you had multiple movies. Yes, and it, the setting, the setting was in, uh, you know, the forties, the nineteen forties, because Michael Corleone had just come out of uh, the military in World War Two. Whereas in Goodfellas, it was primarily set in the sixties, but the majority of the story was seventies, eighties. It, it was so the, the story centered around true story, Henry Hill,
1: uh, you know who was played by uh, Ray Liotta, uh, or how how would you say his name? Ray Liotta. Yeah, who so, just recently passed right, away. Ray Liotta. Uh, main character. He's he provides a lot of the narration to the movie. He uh, or you know the Henry Hill character is gives is, is the narrator, except where his wife Karen narrates. Uh, by Lorraine Bracco, who also then goes on to Sopranos fame, yes. but this was kind of her breakthrough, and she was fabulous. She was great in, in this movie. All, all the characters are great. So this is a a a, a Scorsese film, mm-hmm. so you know it's going to be good. It it has a it has a great story, and it has it has great characters and great actors, and and they really come together well. So you have Henry Hill, you know he's you got his wife Karen, you, um, there's there's Jimmy who's Robert de Niro mm-hmm. who's one of you know kind of like in a way when the movie starts Henry Hills very young and he he almost is like an apprentice to Jimmy who's who's not quite totally in the mafia he is but he can never become a made man because he's Irish well so it's the same thing with Henry right well he's, he's part part Italian part Irish
0: right right and as is Jimmy so they yeah yeah they have their the, because their families are split in Henry Hill's case his dad was Irish and his mom was Sicilian. So they were able to associate, but they could never become a made right. person like their buddy. That their was buddy Tommy, Tommy yeah. by by Joe Pesci, which
1: you know, this is maybe the greatest Joe Pesci character ever—a pure psychopath. I don't know, Raging Bull. He was pretty good. He was good. I mean, Joe Pesci is good in everything yeah. that he's ever done. He, he, he was. It's a shame that he doesn't act anymore because he, he was right up there with De Niro and uh, you know and the other great actors from that era. Just a fabulous um, portrayal of
0: somebody that wanted to be something. You want you want to know a, sl- a very interesting side note on Joe Pesci. Sure, just just a little tidbit here. He actually was the guy who recommended Frankie Valley, to join the rest of the band with the four seasons.
1: I actually knew that. Oh, you did know, yeah, that. Okay. know that. Okay. I
0: did know that. Like Joe Pesci, I'm like, "Really?" Yeah. Cuz he he actually was a singer before he was. Yeah, actor. I saw
1: I saw like videos or something that he was like a little Joey Pesci or something like that. He, he actually was a singer. And they kind of was he... doing the twist and yeah. had the little buffoon hairdo and yeah, no, but in, in this movie he is he is a hardened hardcore gangster.
0: And the scene where uh he's messing with with Henry Ray Liotta, you think I'm funny? So that was I amuse you. He, he that was based on his real life. It wasn't. It wasn't written into the script. He came up with the idea at the shooting, where he said this happened to me when I was a kid, where I was be- I was a waiter in a restaurant, and I came up and I laughed at one of the guy's jokes, and he did the same thing to me. So he just basically re re redid what happened to him as a kid to Ray Liotta char- Ray Liotta's character Henry Hill in the movie. And it's probably the best scene in the entire movie for me. Uh, it's one ever, you know probably everybody remembers if you've seen the movie. Right. It, you know, So the movie begins
1: where they really set the stage for, for what's going to happen. I mean, it, it starts out where you find somebody in a trunk. It, it, and the opening line is by Henry. And he says, always wanted to be a gangster. And that kind of sets the tone. And then you go right to his childhood. And he's a little boy who sits there in the corner watching these gangsters and admiring these men, how they dressed. What the, you know? They, these were extremely well-dressed. They're wearing the suits. Even when they are wearing their casual clothes, they, might, uh, they still have the rings and the jewelry, and they, they're smoking the cigars, and they're hanging out, and they're playing cards, and they're at the bar, and they're, they're, they're socializing and laughing, and they are larger than life, walking around with a, a wad of cash in their pocket always wanted to be one of these guys.
0: He liked the fact that they could do whatever they wanted yeah. whenever they wanted and he he really liked the uh and didn't didn't care if it was by doing good or by stealing it, you did what you wanted to do and that was being a gangster. Because according to Henry
1: that a normal life is for suckers. That you wanted to be treated like a celebrity and they were. There there's the great scene where they go to, to the Copacabana. That uh, if anyone has seen clips in the movie, I'm sure they've seen this, where Henry's taking his then girlfriend Karen. I think it might even be their first date.
0: No, because remember the first date he was they doubled with Tommy. Oh, okay, that's right. And then and then he 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 left. Right. And she got very mad, and she ended up chasing him down and yelling at him, which right. he ended up liking her yeah, because nobody no guy does that to her. And so, but yeah, so he takes
1: her into the the Copacabana, but he doesn't go through the front. No, he enters through the back and you're walking through the kitchen and the camera's kind of following along and they get this special treatment as they walk in immediately this young early to mid 20 year old has the the major D recognize him so oh, henry come with me picks up a table
0: moves it to up to the front of the stage well yeah while they're making this walk everybody's saying hi to him by his mm-hmm. name he knows everybody and that's at this point the narrator is karen the wife in in and, and she's talking about I couldn't believe it. Here's this young guy and he knows everybody and he's so connected and that he's nice to everybody. And, you know, they, like you said, they not only got a table for him, but they put it in front of everybody else. Sure. And who was singing at the time? Uh, Was it Bobby Vinton or somebody like that? And he gives them like the, you know, the little soldier salute (laughs) as they're sitting there. And, you know, so she was, she was impressed by it. And and you can hear people in the background saying, Hey, why why do I have to wait as he's walking past them? mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so uh, it's a pretty cool scene. It it is, and it really kind of sums up a lot of what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. the The movie is wanting to maintain the lifestyle through the '60s when he's a kid, and we we progress through the '70s, ultimately into the '80s. It is him trying to have this gangster lifestyle. It and seeing how it starts out really good, really well and but it kind of spirals towards the end but even when it's at the end he still doesn't want to give it up because he loves the lifestyle so much right yep okay so anyways that's that's good fellas it, it's a it's a, a fabulous movie you know it's always on list of all-timers came to number 3 on my list number 2 much to your wife's chagrin will be shawshank redemption
0: <laughs> I don't understand why I don't understand
1: it either cuz it might forget the 90s this I think this might even be number two on my all-time list right
0: uh, and I would agree and this is another long movie this is another three plus hour movie and uh, it it I never got tired of it when, I still don't when get I tired it. of it. yeah
1: literally if it is on television and I'm flipping through even though I've seen this movie scores of times yeah I will watch it from that moment to the end I have seen that escape scene more times than i can count because no matter where we are i'm going to pick it up you know for those of you who don't know the movie it is uh andy dufresne is somebody that uh goes to prison because he is a he's convicted of murdering his wife of a crime he didn't commit that's what he says you know we hear that all the time yeah even though as they talk in the movie you know his buddy red who's played by morgan freeman when he says hey what, what are you in here for well i didn't do it He says, oh you'll fit in
0: well right here with everybody
1: else because no there isn't there's a guilty man in here
0: and then he yells out to the next guy over to him say uh hey uh what'd you do what you in for didn't do it <laughs> this exactly is what they right. yell back so andy dufresne he is um he
1: walks in on uh, his wife, who's having an affair, and and he, he's drinking. And the question is, you know, does it does he murder them? So that's kind of in the background, though. He says he never did it. You know, his, his buddy Red is played by Morgan Freeman. One of the great buddy movies, in a way. I know it's not a buddy movie, but the relationship between Andy, this uptight white banker that would never have associated with a low... Bottom of the rung, street hustler like Red, if they weren't in prison, the two of them instantly, you know, almost instantly hit it off. They, they, they really like each other. Mm-hmm. Andy is not somebody that was made for prison. He's soft. He is, he's he's a, a man that probably never did hard work in his life. He worked. He, wor- he worked hard, but not he physically. Ban- he was a banker. He was a banker, you know, highly educated, very successful, but he was not accustomed to the rough and tumble world so he gets thrown into prison and he it does not go well for him
0: although he shows a little bit more resolve than what red had given him credit for uh, credit for because when andy comes in with the other prisoners the new prisoners there's this dog and pony show where they have to parade they have to go walking down in front of all the other prisoners who are behind bars and they start yelling at them right and there's uh red and some of the other seasoned uh inmates they have a, a usual bet that when the new crop comes in they bet on who is going to start crying or yelling at night, who's going to be the first one to crack. Right. So, red bet on on Andy. Sure. And he said, uh, "I'll take that tall drink of water over there." <laughs> or yeah. or is or is he, "I'll take that tall drink of water over there." And <laughs> So they, uh, but, uh, he ends up keeping quiet. So he's had a little bit more resolve than I think they gave him credit for at the beginning. Well, absolutely. Because they, as it turns out, he needs that resolve because
1: he has a, he has a difficult time in prison. He is suddenly the, the target of the sisters who, um, decide that they want to have their way sexually with him in prison and he fights them off and fights them off. And he's always having difficulty with them. Uh, eventually at some point in the movie, there is a roofing job that ne- needs to be done at the prison. And this is an ideal position because it gets you outside. It gets you in the sunlight. It's it, you're on top of the roof. You're working. Red, who's a connected man, finds a way to get all his buddies. Rigs the election. Rigs the election, gets them all on the roof. Surprise, surprise. All of Red's friends are up, up on the roof. While up on the roof doing work, Andy's one of these friends who's up there. He overhears uh, the, the head prison guard um Captain hadley who is discussing how it's so unfair that you know he is coming into this money this inheritance and he's going to get hit with all these taxes well andy being the smart banker that he is understands that there's a way for him to avoid paying taxes of course he walks over to uh, to hadley and says do you trust your wife to this to the toughest prison guard who would just beat people close to death well, he and, did kill somebody. Well, the original guy. Yeah. The guy that the other people bet on that wasn't going to survive the night because he cried in the middle of the night. Hadley went and beat him to death.
0: Yeah, and, and didn't think twice about it.
1: So he's about ready to throw Andy off of the roof. I mean, he's got him hanging there, and then he's, you know, says, hey, why'd well, you trust her? You know, be, will she go behind your back? And he goes, because if you can trust her, there's a way you can keep the money. And then he explains to him tax-wise how he can do it. Turns out Andy's right. As a result, he suddenly gets special protection.
0: From From the sisters. From the guards. The guards now protect him from getting, you know, attacked by these other prisoners. And through this relationship with the guards, he ends up uh, getting a relationship with the warden. He does. And the warden uses Andy to start laundering money for him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, As as Andy very astutely says to Red, he goes, I was clean as a whistle on the outside. I had to go to prison (laughs) to become a crook. Right. So as a result of having this cheap labor force...
1: The warden is able to bid out his his workers uh, to do some
0: outside work for pennies on the dollar. The pennies on the dollar, which then he puts through his own coffers. And what the what these contractors that he have to compete against him, they give him bribe money so they can get the contracts. Otherwise, they'll get uh, they'll get outbid every time. Well, their wife just baked him a pie, which yeah. happened to have a whole lot of cash <laughs> there with the pie.
1: So as a result, you know this is going along, but then there's tommy this character comes in that turns out he had a cellmate who actually was the murderer confesses to confesses it. to him that he he had killed andy's wife
0: now this this comes after a little bit of time where it, he's been there for a little while yes and andy had started to help him get his GAD his yeah his equivalency mm-hmm. so did he did he say talk tell the story because of the confession because he was just trying to you know make a friend with andy or was he you know there was a little bit of back and forth now of course you know andy andy believes the story it. Yeah. yeah so now they have to essentially tell the warden that this is that this is going to happen which has another very critical scene in the movie right because they you know he's, he's you know andy
1: goes to the warden and says you know we have this information well the warden does not want to lose andy and his
0: operation so as a result he has Tommy killed. Cuz the last thing the warden wants to do is is to have the potential for what he's been doing to become public. Well, Andy t- assures him that that he would keep everything quiet. But I in I part of me, you
1: know, watching the movie, my take on it is the warden doesn't think he, Andy's going to turn him in. I think the warden just doesn't want this gravy train to stop. Sure. You know, so it the, it, the he has this great operation going. He does not want this to end. He has this master um
0: money launderer working for him and he is just funneling funds away which and he had done by creating a silent partner in the business operation which as he was explaining to red was a total figment of his he made the person up
1: who just happened had the exact same signature that he had
0: well he had to create he had to create an identity so he he said he got a birth certificate he got a social security card he got all these documentation just like him and the measurements yeah and and the uh and and the and as uh, Morgan said, then the signature was a spot on match. Right. So, right. So after Tommy is killed and it the, the warden
1: is, you know, throws him in a solitary to basically punish him and decides he's had enough. Turns out over the 19 years, Oh, you know, backtracking a little bit at one point, Andy went up to red and said, uh, can you get me a little hammer? Cause I like, I like shaping rocks. So a little rock hammer and a poster and a poster. He, uh, rita hayworth very beautiful rita hayworth. yeah absolutely you know bombshell every day rita hayworth and he put the poster up and and you know sure enough red gets it for him gets a little hammer and the boys in the yard start helping him getting some rocks because he wanted to like make the little chess set
0: yeah um which a little side note is the 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 writer for this movie this was a stephen king movie correct uh the the book was not titled the shawshank redemption it was actually uh it's I believe it's called Rita Hayworth and Me or something like that. Oh really? That. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was the actual name of the book, which when you when you talked about the Rita Hayworth poster, but that was that was the premise of of the title of the book.
1: Okay. So, but why does he have the poster? Well, behind the poster, it turns out Andy has been digging. He's taken that little hammer, and he found out that the walls had a little bit of give to them. So he's been chipping away at the walls for 19 years and digging a tunnel so that he could make us escape, because Andy has no chance of parole. He is serving two consecutive life-term sentences. Uh, and and so now that Tommy, his only uh, alibi that he might have, is has been murdered, there's no chance that he's going to get out, Now he's going to make his break for it. And Andy actually does, one night, disappear through
0: the wall. Although the next morning, because there's a really bad storm that night, And he had a conversation with Red that was very... Kind of cryptic. Yeah, extremely cryptic, where Red has no idea what he's talking about. But he's Andy is very adamant. He's like, promise me when if you ever get out, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. You're going to go to this field. You're going to look under this rock. And he's like, promise me, Red. Promise me you're going to do this. And so at dinner uh you know red is talking to the other the other guys that he they're friends with and he's saying i'm I'm telling you there's something not right about him and then the one guy says uh oh and he's like what he goes i shouldn't have done what i did what did you do i gave him a length of rope about six feet long because so at that point everybody thought he's going to hang himself when we're watching the movie the first time i mean i thought he was going to hang himself yeah so there's a really bad storm uh you know red says as he sat in a cell that that was the longest night of his life. And then the very next morning, they all have, the doors swing open. They have to stand out for roll call. They stand out and one is missing and it's Andy. So the guards like, come on, you know, come out of the cell. And they go and they they look at the sheet. Yes, his name is there on the sheet at the end of the night. He's not there in the morning. So they go walking over to the cell and much to their And of course, you know, they're not shooting the shot of the movie, from their viewpoint looking in, it's the camera looking from the cell out to them. So you don't actually see what's in the cell at that point. All you see is you their reaction. shock on their faces, right? And, the, and so the next thing is they go to the warden, and the warden comes out, and there's no Andy. He's gone. So it's like, well, what happened? And so now they're trying to figure out what's going on.
1: And at this point, Rita Hayworth, because it's been 19 years, has been replaced by Ra- Raquel Welch. Yes. Uh, as the warden calls her Miss Fuzzy Britches I think. Yes. What say you Miss Fuzzy Britches? Because <laughs> she is it's a movie scene. I I am I don't remember the movie uh but I, I remember seeing the scene where she's kind of uh almost it was it was like a caveman type of movie. It's a
0: fur bikini. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she's yeah.
0: she's wearing a fur bikini, yeah.
1: And then so he he takes the rocks that Andy had kind of carved and he
0: th- he starts to lose
1: it a little. He bit. loses it, and then he throws them right at the poster, and then here, clink, 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 and then something fall. And it should have been bouncing right off the wall, but then the warden goes over and sticks his finger through the hole in the poster, pushes through, and sees that there's an entire hole on the other side.
0: But there's a, the, I think what makes the 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 imagery of the movie so good at that particular scene is you know, he, he's, kind of, he's, he's kind of ranting and raving at this point. He's throwing the stones at everybody who's there, the, the guards at Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's losing it. I've seen you two. You two are thick thieves. Where'd he go? So, and as he turns and starts yelling at the poster, everybody kind of turns as he's like throwing rocks towards the poster. But I think one of the great moments or the one of the great scenes is when he throws the one rock And then everybody just, you just kind of see their eyes and their head just kind of like lean forward, like something's not right here. Right. And then he, and even the warden just kind of slowly walks towards the poster and that's when he pushes his hand through and realizes, hey, he's actually tunneled out. And then you get a flashback to how Andy actually got out and they show his escape
1: and, you know, he climbed, he crawled through a sewer pipe and he, uh, you know, had, he, he took the warden's one suit. And he, he actually wore the warden's shoes out. And it, it's like they said, you know, how often do you walk past a man and actually look at his shoes? And instead of having his prison shoes on, he actually wore the warden's shoes.
0: Who I think had given them to Andy have him shine. Yes. Yeah, because he had given him the suit and he had given him the shoes because mm-hmm. he, he wanted them clean and pressed right. and his shirts done. Which was a regular thing. This was, And Andy had very, you know cal- you know, calculated this that anything that the warden did to him was not a surprise you know he shined his shoes many times took his suits and shirts he opened up the safe times
1: he opened up the safe so right that night he does the books for the last time of course he doesn't put the actual books in he takes
0: the real books that he took out and and put a fake one in there Uh, right including the bible that he was given when he first got in there as a prisoner which is what he used to hide the hammer in correct Correct. And so you see the flashback where he escapes and he, he
1: crawls through the sewer. He gets out, he, he cleans himself off, he puts on the, the suit and the shoes. He now goes to the bank as this this fictitious person who's now for the first
0: time showing up at all these different banks and he's making withdrawals. Because he wants to live his life abroad. Right, and right. He, you know, when he talked to Red before he escaped, he had said... You know where I want to go? I think I want to go to Mexico because and the there's a town that he talked about, Guatulaneo or yeah. something like that. And he and because the the Pacific Ocean. You know what they say about the Pacific Ocean? It has no memory. And he goes, "That's that's the life I want to live." Kind of thing. He's like, yeah. So he's talking about these things, and that's why Red thinks he's you know going crazy. But it turns then, out that's what he ends up doing.
1: He does. And some time passes. Red doesn't get out right away. You know, ultimately, Red becomes an, an old man. And he, he keeps getting turned down for parole over and over and over again. And, it, you know, he's like a lot of, of the prisoners where they go up before the, the parole board. They they try to sweet talk them and tell them what they think they want to hear. And they keep getting rejected.
0: Well, he, he, earlier in the movie, Red throws out the word institutionalized. Correct. And one of their, one of their friends that got released was, uh, Brooks. was Brooks yeah. and Brooks was an old man by the time he gets out. And so he, he can't adjust to the life on the outside. So he ends up killing himself. And so they're like, why would he do something like that? And Red says this, he's institutionalized. And he said, yeah, you spend half your life trying to get out of these bars they said, and then the bars get comfortable, and then you you become afraid of what the world is on the outside. That,
1: that's actually a great point. Because, and, I've, and I said that not that long ago to somebody. I said, you know, you, you've become institutionalized, kind of with that, that sort of thing, where what you hated at one point is now comfortable. And I, I said it like in reference to the job that they were doing, and that you know at some point if you get too comfortable, you, you won't want to change. And that's what happened where this Brooks, who – on the inside, as Scott said, was an important man. He was an educated man, they had said. He was in charge of the library. But when he went on the outside, he was an old washed-up crook. Working at a grocery store. Bagging groceries. And
0: his hands hurt.
1: And it, and, and Right. And so it was a difficult life for him. He couldn't deal with it. Red finally goes before the parole board, says he just doesn't care. And he's like, uh, you know, and he talks about all, you know, that not, you know wishing that he had never done what he did and at this point they to his surprise he is granted parole and he actually gets out
0: and for a brief time he actually tries to live the life that they gave him because like brooks he gets put in a halfway house same room and the same and the same job correct and one of the moments is where he's now he's seems to be doing much better in the grocery store than what brooks did uh but he he's like he, needs, he tells the boss, the manager of the store, that he needs to go to the bathroom. And the manager just walks up to him and says, you don't have to ask me every time because that's what he had to do in prison. Absolutely. And he even says that. He goes, I, don't, I can't understand why I can't even you know, let out a drop unless I ask permission first. Right. And so it's kind of, it's kind of at that point for uh, Red that he's like, you know, this isn't working out so well for me either. And he remembers the story that Andy told him about going to
1: visit that place kind of out in the country by a tree
0: where there's a rock well there's one remember there's one scene where he's um you know he's he, he, he kind of walks by the pond's yeah, shop. You, yeah. You, and he sees the gun he sees the gun which is next to a compass right and so he's you, you
1: kind of wonder is he going down the same path as brooks he's leading the same kind of depressed existence that brooks has lead had led Where he's by himself, he works at the grocery store, he goes to the same room, and he basically just sits in a chair and stares at the wall till it's time to get up for the next day.
0: So, it's at this point where, uh, you know, as a viewer, you're wondering... You think it's the gun. When you watch it the first time, you see the gun. When you see it the second time, you see the compass. Because during, uh, when Brooks is still alive and he writes the letter back to the guys in prison, basically telling that he's going to kill himself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he says about how he doesn't like the manager at the grocery store, and how he should just, you know, get a gun and kill him so he could come back into into jail because he <laughs> wants to go back to prison. Right. And he's like, that would be like an added bonus kind of thing. It's just funny how you know, as you're talking about killing somebody, and it's like, ah, you know, that's you know, criminals view things a little differently. Right. But at this point, uh, you know, Red does decide that he remembers the conversation that he had with Andy. And, he's, and he decides maybe he's gonna seek this adventure out so he does and he goes out and he 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 follows Andy's
1: directions and lo and behold he, he he pulls up a rock and there's like this little box this middle box there and there was cash in there and
0: what there was also a was it a card from the like a postcard it was uh, it was a note basically saying if you've come this far right see if you you know go the rest of the way and then so he ends up traveling down to Texas buys a bus ticket to go into Mexico and uh you know uh Andy essentially left him the money to that he could afford to go from Maine all the way down into Texas and then into Mexico and he goes to
1: the town that that Andy told him about and then he the last scene is a really good scene where Andy is on the beach working on this tattered old boat and you know kind of living the life out there and all of a sudden, here comes Red walking up the beach, and you kind of get this big overhead shot, and they kind of pan back, and you see
0: the two kind of run up and, and embrace each other, and then that's how the movie ends. Yeah, which is one of the, uh, to me, it, the the ending wasn't overdone, you know, wasn't overplayed. There wasn't any words exchanged. Right. The movie basically just ends, to, you know, the two guys just come together for the very first right. time, which is very cool because, you know, they weren't, you know, they were friends, they were buddies. So they didn't, it wasn't overly done, overly dramatized at the end. I thought it was an appropriate ending to that type of a, of a buddy movie. And yes, um, one of, I put probably one or two of my favorite all, all time. movies. Absolutely. Hey everybody. It's me, Scott from the Gen X playback show. And I didn't mean to turn this into a two part episode, but when I had to sit back and think about some of the. Movies from the '90s that were amongst my favorite. I couldn't narrow the list down, so I'll blame this one on me. Turning this one into a, a two-parter, so that'll be coming up next time. And maybe we talked about some of your favorite movies, and I'm sure whether they're your favorites. Um, uh, there are so many good ones in the 1990s uh, from from the movie side that it's hard to deny. That, you know, with the combination of of writing and uh, cinematography and with computer graphics it seemed like everything was coming together in the 90s from uh, from Hollywood and just one great movie after another I think this might have been the best in the 70s, 80s, and 90s I think the 90s probably represents the best in movies for our generation. Maybe you agree maybe you don't um, maybe we talked about one of your favorite movies already but we still have the whole comedy uh, genre to go through as well as the romantic comedy and the dramatic comedy as well as sean's favorite movie of all time in the uh, on the dramatic side so that's all coming up next time on gen x playback again thank you so much for listening and joining in in our little community Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in week after week and we'll talk to you next time again this is scott thanks for listening to gen x playback talk to you soon